Hello, all, and welcome back to the Syntax Podcast. I'm Matt. (laughs) (laughs) So, I meant to point this out at one point, but last time we did alphabetical order, Ethan, Fernando, Matt, so I think our protocol should be no matter who we start with, we go in that same order. Mm, Okay, well... Really, I feel like that's 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 uh, um, more or less functional. Less functional? No, I I think Fernando means that you would still say your name first, but then the other two people would decide alphabetically. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I'm good with that. Okay, I thought like I would pause, and then another person would uh, have some sort of subtle indication that they should begin talking by saying uh... their name, and I was like, that that really makes no sense. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Syntax Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Ethan. And I'm Fernando. We're excited to have you listening in today. Um, Today, we're uh, addressing part two of our series on alternative forms of government, looking at a particular form uh, known as liquid democracy or delegative democracy. Um, So for an elaboration on what that is, I'm going to pass this over to Fernando. Fernando? Yeah, so delegative democracy is a type of representative democracy that gives you a lot more flexibility, hence the term liquid. And so each citizen can participate in one of two ways. One is being an active participant, meaning being a delegate or being a representative. And the second is being a passive participant, delegating their vote to someone who is active. So theoretically, if everybody what chose to be an active participant, which is an allowable possibility, you would have a straight direct democracy like the ancient Greeks had, where all voting citizens debate and decide on policies themselves. In the U.S., if that happened, we'd have several hundred million people trying to do the work that Congress does now. So obviously inefficient. And what would happen is instead of voting for a representative, I might delegate my vote to Ethan because I trust him. He wants to be an active participant, and I know that he will represent my ideas pretty well. So the representative body might end up being about the same as Congress is now. It could have several thousand on the national level, or it could be much less. But when, if Ethan was to have my vote, he would participate in the legislative debates, and his vote would count as two one for him, one for me, and maybe several of our friends would also delegate their vote to Ethan. So what that brings is instead of representatives being based on a geographic division or some sort of other arbitrary district, district making, the relationships are based on personal knowledge and trust, at least theoretically. I don't have to vote for a list of candidates that are given to me. I can vote for anyone I want based on who I know. Does that make sense, Ethan? Yeah. What I will say, though, is it's very interesting that you took liquid to mean um, or or to allude to the flexibility of the system. And certainly it has a lot of flexibility in the way people can use their votes. But uh, what I thought liquid was referring to was the idea that this delegation can cascade. So like Fernando said, um, everybody has the ability to choose a delegate for themselves to cast the votes. And maybe many people choose the same delegate, which is advantageous because then it results in a structure like Congress, you know, 300 million people vote in only a few hundred representatives. But the people who are the representatives are able to 
also delegate their votes on issues that they don't want to be involved in. So maybe there's minutiae um, dealing with technology. We mentioned this last time, I think, that a lot of representatives don't understand. Well, there could be a technology committee within the representative body that many of the uh, representatives choose to allocate their votes to. So maybe there's 10 people on the technology committee and the rest of the legislative body chooses which of those people they want to allocate their votes to because those people are subject matter experts. And in that sense, it's sort of a waterfall, um, hence liquid in my mind, because I delegate my vote to Fernando, who's on the technology committee, and Fernando votes for me, even though I was a delegate in the first place because other people have delegated their votes to me. Um, so there's this cascade, cascade of voting. Um, but I, I don't know that it's ever specified, to be honest. I don't think it is. And I think that in both cases, it's kind of two sides of the same coin, where your voting power, whether as a passive citizen or an active delegate, redelegating your vote, your voting power can move around so that it's channeled through people that you know and trust to the best decision makers, in other words, the decision maker who will be able to spend the time and has the knowledge in any particular field. Yeah. Another so, interesting, oh, just oh. another thing I want to throw in about this liquidity. <laughs> Go for it. Is that um, people don't necessarily even run as delegates. Uh, so hypothetically, if we were to implement the system, all of the people in America, we're going to use this as like America's government as an example, I think. All the people in America would have to decide whether they want to be a delegate or not in the sense of, like, go be part of the representative body. Now, if somebody chooses that they don't want to be a delegate, but another person delegates their vote. Um, so let's say, uh, let's say Matt's a regular citizen, and I'm a regular citizen, and we both are voting, but neither of us wants to be a delegate. I might cast my vote for Matt, and in that case, whoever Matt's vote, Matt votes for is where my vote goes. So again, we're seeing this like cascade of the votes, even though I voted for Matt. That doesn't mean he's going to be one of the representatives. It just means that my vote counts for whoever he voted for. And if that person also doesn't want to be a, a representative, then the vote goes down another level. Hmm. So uh, I'm curious here, um, with, uh, with representatives and delegates, are... are you know, if different issues arise, um, you know, you mentioned that if there's a technology issue that you could delegate your vote to Fernando, um, even if you had people who had delegated their votes to you. So does that mean with each issue that might arise from a policy standpoint, you would actually have uh, people re-voting and re-delegating their votes every single time an issue would arise? Or would you be nominating delegates for certain roles where they would take a more legislative uh approach to, you know, like a governing body like Congress or something like that, um, rather than voting on each individual policy. So the, uh, the inventor, quote unquote, inventor of um, liquid democracy is named Brian Ford. And he has a long paper detailing his idea of how it would work. And Ford basically puts up the idea of committees. So he, he draws even a few diagrams where the voting populace is one block, which then funnels down into the first level of representation. And that's all the people who said that they're willing to be representatives who gained any kind of votes to be delegates. And then within that, that governing body, there are subcommittees. So what you're saying is, would it be issue by issue or groups of issues? It would be 
in his mind, groups of issues because the kinds of people that know a lot about um, the legislation involved in net neutrality, for example, are probably the same kind of people who would be able to do other governing laws in Silicon Valley. So you could say this is the tech committee and then there might be another committee for finance and so on and so on. It's worth pointing out that I think the general principle of liquid democracy or delegative democracy is really just the idea that you can be an active or passive citizen and your vote can be channeled through the delegation process to a delegate and so on to someone else. But the specifics of how that structure could work, there could be a lot of ways to to execute that within the framework of what's called liquid democracy. Brian Ford kind of looks at a couple related but slightly different schemes to execute it. But there's no, it, the committee structure that he, Ethan was explaining is not the only way necessarily to execute liquid democracy. Yeah, that's a very good point. And um, Ford makes a, a point of saying that in any case where this could be practically implemented, there are just a lot of constraints uh, based on that environment, right? So he talks about how you might want to think about it in the sense of a corporation or a country or even like smaller bodies, maybe uh, orga small organizations or clubs, and how you don't want to get too prescriptive from the perspective of the guy who invented the system, from his perspective, because there's just so many organizational constraints depending on where you implement it. But the basic idea is the point, just as Fernando said. It's about being either a passive or active participant because not everybody in a democracy has time to know enough about all of the topics they're voting on. Uh, so, interesting. Uh, I, I w I'll keep going, Matt. Oh, I was going to say one thing that, that you're pointing out here that we addressed in the last episode and talked about wanting to have a, a more representative approach to government um, when it comes to expertise. And so having technologists uh, make uh, regulations and laws about technology um, rather than have a pretty homogenous background of people in the social sciences legislating uh, things from technology to um, social issues to uh, economic issues and, and having uh, kind of one background of person addressing all these issues. Um, so this does kind of parlay into, into giving authority to people who should have authority in certain fields and dividing and separating that out. Um, so that people with true expertise are the ones making the laws and, and, and governing um, governing uh, bodies there. So, um, so what are some other kind of points here that, that were really attractive about this form of government? I think it's if we consider the two, uh, two of the basic types of democracy, direct democracy and representative democracy, it's interesting how this kind of straddles the line in between them. Direct democracy, as we mentioned, being where every citizen is part of the legislative body. Representative democracy, where citizens are grouped into, you know, states, counties, or whatever it is, and elect their representatives. So, in for a larger organization or a country, the direct democracy wouldn't work for um, for obvious reasons. But some of the issues with representative democracy is some people's votes are devalued. Um, kind of artificially, because if someone is voting for the presidential election is just uh, one, well, that's not a great example because we're voting for one person. But even in Congress, if you vote for a representative who has not much chance of 
winning that election for that seat, your vote doesn't translate into any sort of voice in Congress, even though it might represent a re- relatively significant minority. So by yeah. having a flexible mm-hmm. number of delegates and flexible ways to group delegates or to group voters, uh, liquid democracy kind of tackles those issues or at least tries to. Yeah, so so one thing I'd throw in there is um, for anyone familiar with voting systems, a really popular idea is the idea of single transferable vote. So the problems that Fernando, Fernando describes, basically wasted votes, are a feature of first-past-the-post voting or um, winner-take-all, basically. So in America, uh, if I vote for my local representative, only one person is going to win. And that means that if my candidate is likely to get very few votes, I would be rather, I would be more likely to vote for the candidate who has a better chance of winning, even if he aligns with my beliefs much less. Because you know that the candidate that represents a really unusual belief system is unlikely to win, and so many people vote not in their interests. So you end up consolidating to these voting blocks, and that's basically the political parties. It's one of the reasons that America is pretty much always going to have two political parties, because voting blocks consolidate. Single transferable vote is the idea that if you vote for somebody and they don't get elected, you can have specified a list of other people that you want your votes to go to if the first people don't make it. So if I vote for really unpopular candidate A and B and C in that order, as each of them get eliminated from the election, my vote moves to the next one. And that means that if the fourth candidate is the one who is last remaining, my vote actually goes to him or her. Okay, so that, that deals with some of the challenges of uh, traditional representative democracy. But Ford points out that it doesn't really solve the problem because the complexity of ranking 10 to 100 to 1,000 candidates, as you might for like the U.S. Senate or the presidency, is really hard. And so what you get to do in liquid democracy is use someone else as a proxy for your voting. So you can say, I'm giving my vote to somebody else, and that other person might give their vote to somebody else. But that chain is basically the same thing as a ranking in single transferable vote with far less mental strain. You don't need to know everything about all of the candidates in the election. And I think that in itself is a really strong case for delegative democracy. That takes off a lot of mental burden, but also restricts wasted voting in a way that traditional representative democracy does really poorly at. So it's interesting you bring up a, a, a concept of strategic voting um, here. So is, is that uh, voting pattern ingrained in liquid democracy where you uh, would be ranking alternatives as opposed to um, identifying one single person you're voting for like we have in a representative system today? Or is that something that kind of could be built in on top of it? Was Brian Ford addressing that particular issue along as a um, – significant ingrained component of the system? Well, I think, uh, I think his, the way he addressed that problem was to say that the point is to not have to do this ranking. So rankings are good, but if you can have a ranking implicitly, which is basically what liquid democracy requires when you vote for somebody and they vote for somebody else and they vote for somebody else, that's an implicit ranking, then you don't need to know all about all these candidates. So in the base idea of liquid democracy, no, that isn't part of the system. But there is this problem you can have where you have a circular voting pattern. So I vote for Matt, Matt votes for Fernando, Fernando votes for me. 
none of us are going to have enough votes to actually get elected to the representative body, and so all of our votes are wasted, right? Well, in that case, you might want to let people specify a single transferable vote style list of some backup candidates. That's how I thought of them. Like, in case my votes kind of end up in a dead end, where would I like them to go? And that brings back some ideas of STV, single transfer transferable vote, into the system. But it doesn't require people to use it, uh, which again is a gain because if you, if you made everybody vote the traditional way of a single transferable vote, you almost have to know enough to specify, you know, five to ten candidates because it's likely your votes will be wasted. But in this case, it's only in the unusual situation where your votes are circular. And the other issue that regarding strategic voting that maybe liquid democracy addresses is in a traditional representative body, even with single transferable vote, you're always thinking we need to get this majority so that we have a voice at the table. And if you're in liquid democracy, if you're representing some interest that will not get a majority, even when combined with allied parties or views, you can just say, my, the vote stops here. I'm going to be a delegate. I may not have huge voting power, but I will ensure that we have a voice at whatever legislative session takes place. And mm -hmm. there, that's a whole nother discussion about how you, um, what sort of power should someone have at the national level in terms of debating policy if they only represent one or two votes, but they can at least be present because there's no restriction on how many or how few representatives form the representative body. Yeah. So, so with this, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of addressing also um, some critiques or at least some critiques, not even critiques, but at least some things worth exploring with this style of government. Um, how at risk is this to parlaying into political parties? Because this is based off of the consolidation of power and based off of, uh, to your point, um, Fernando, yes, everyone can have a seat at the table, um, but if you have more delegates who have transferred their vote to you, or who have specified you uh, behind you, um, then you have more voting power. At least that's how I'm understanding it. And if that's the case, there would be an incentive there to build around uh, parties and around people who consolidated their power. So is that something that you would see here or that you would think you would see here in the long term or something that Brian Ford addresses? I thought the same thing, Matt. and. I haven't figured out how this will necessarily avoid it, especially if we use that committee structure that Ethan described earlier. Um, I could easily see it where someone on the tech committee says, I'll delegate my vote to this person in the economics committee, knowing that he'll delegate his vote or votes really back to me um, when there's a certain tech issue that comes up. So... I'm not, I, I could see it devolving into a sort of quid pro quo system the way a lot of legislation currently is. So I, um, well, I, I tend to think that the system is better designed than that, to be honest, because the idea of liquid democracy really emphasizes that there must be transparency and uh, liquidity, but not, not in the sense of these waterfalls, but in the idea that the market or whatever, um, system you're playing in allows you to change your actions really easily. And why that's important is you need to be able to react to the actions of your representatives rapidly. And if as long as you are able to see what your representatives are doing and they cast a vote not in your interests, 
you would reasonably be able to change your proxy to cast your vote uh, to another delegate. And then when they cast their votes, you can watch them and see if they did better. Now, I, I do think that this could lead to some, um, some, some bouncing back and forth. So if you look at the hyper-reactive environment that we live in where everybody freaks out over everything, then, I mean, somebody coming from this world into a delegative democracy world might change their proxy 10, 15 times a day. But that, I think, would, would smooth out over time. I don't think the political party thing is a danger, though, because if anything, I think people will be so willing to switch their candidates that, um, that it becomes a fractured environment more than a blocked one. That's just my opinion. I mean, obviously, we would have to see how it would work in practice. But I think that providing people paid any attention at all, you'd be able to see if your representatives were doing things in your interest. Yeah, I think um, I think that makes sense. I, you know, having that liquid element to be able to transfer votes rapidly definitely adds an element of uh, feedback and response that, uh, in one sense, is is really good to be able to um, have a say at uh, a table of delegates when you've just voted or uh, pass your vote to a specific delegate, but definitely runs the risks that you you just addressed. Um, there, I mean, what are what are other um, concerns? I guess that that you might see uh, when it comes to implementing something like this. Something that Ford brought up was you could see a situation where you're uh, signing, you know, signing a job contract, and it's part of not a explicit precondition, but kind of a implied pressured precondition is sign your vote over to whoever the CEO or whoever might be a delegate trying to represent company votes and or even among families or social groups, you know, organizations, there might be this pressure to, if you're going to be part of organization X, you better be transferring your vote to this guy who we've chosen as our delegate. Yeah, I think that's a danger. Um, I, I'm probably showing my hand here. Very clearly, I I thought this was a well-designed form of government, and I think it would be good to implement, and I, I think I'm coming off as defending it. But in my mind, um, this is probably the most convincing criticism. It's It just seems like it would be fairly easy to enlist people uh, to support you by requiring them uh, to transfer their vote and let, or they lose some benefit from you. So I actually... Um, Ford, in a follow-up to his original idea, published some quotes from critics. And um, <laughs> there's, there's one that I, I thought was funny. Uh, Hi, you may know me. I'm Bill Gates. I'm getting sick of government investigations. The next one million people to sign their vote over to me get a free copy of Windows 2045. This time we fix the bugs. And that made me laugh, uh, obviously. But the idea that people could uh, ask other people to give them votes for some kind of uh, quid pro quo arrangement is pretty dangerous, I think. But I also don't think that it's unique to liquid democracy because we could have the same problems now. So in this sense, yes, it's a weakness, but I don't think that it's a unique weakness. I'd agree with that. And a lot of different people around the internet have looked into how to implement a liquid democracy voting scheme through some sort of computer software. And I think that opens up the interesting possibility of if voting was done electronically and anonymously, you could have a delegate 
not actually knowing how many votes they represent. And I'm not sure if that's a good thing, but it would give you the option, you know, that employee to say that they're delegating, not say they're delegating vote, but there'd be no way to prove that they have or they haven't. And if the computer would just run the voting on whatever legislation is going on, it would spit out who has the most, what policy or like the yes or no vote, which one won. But each individual delegate doesn't know how much they contributed to the success or failure of that policy. Ethan, did you look into any of those, like uh, how technology and software could back up this principle of liquid democracy? Yeah, I did skim it really quickly. Um, So I guess one idea to introduce really rapidly is the same technology that powers the blockchain could be used here really well. So there's this concept called public keys and private keys. And to to make a very long story very short, uh, people can keep secret uh, text strings called private keys and use them to encode messages. And other people can decode the messages but can never sign a message, can never encode a message the same way that these were encoded. And basically that serves as proof that the person who has the original key actually sent that message. So some people have talked about um, implementing liquid democracy this way because people could sign messages that say, my vote goes here, and send them to a central system. And the central system would be able to authenticate all of these messages and say, with absolute certainty, this came from the person with the private key. And everybody could have their own private keys. And as long as you didn't lose them, you would be able to aggregate that information with certainty of who said what and perfect accuracy. Uh, I think that would be really useful, but the problem you run into with almost any of these computerized voting systems that do the aggregation is, um, well, naively bugs, right? So if you have a single bug in the system, who audits the system? Um, Pretty hard to say that you're going to let somebody audit the system because it would just be so easy to tamper. And less naively, if you have somebody building the software, they could intentionally build some unusual features that you don't want in it. And they might have even some kind of backdoor that they could get into later on. So it is a bit dangerous to have these fully automated voting systems that do the aggregation at the top level. Uh, And so I I don't know if I find that argument convincing. The only case where it might be is an open source um, implementation of this problem, kind of like the blockchain. And I think that that might have a future, but that requires a lot of people to understand technology a lot better than they do right now. And for those not familiar with the blockchain, like myself, let me know if this is a adequate understanding of it. It basically allows transactions or decisions to be made that the public can verify are authentic, came from the person who is saying they did it, but each individual transaction is anonymous. Is that roughly correct? Um, the transactions are not exactly anonymous. Um, they're anonymous if you don't know who has what private key, but you would know in some sense that like the same person has been doing these things. So, um, to give a, to give a Bitcoin example, if I buy a Bitcoin today and I buy another one tomorrow, everybody on the network would know it was the same person that bought both. They wouldn't know who it was exactly. And the votes would be kind of the same, but if we're really going to give everybody one key, because that's like important to the system, then we probably would know who has what keys. Um, so at least vaguely, we might have an idea. This starts to be beyond the technical scope of what I understand either, so I, I do not want anyone to take that as gospel. But generally speaking, 
we would definitely know that it was the same person completing several actions. Yeah, I, I will say, uh, you know, Ethan, I, I figured you would turn this into a technology conversation. Um, but <laughs> it's just a matter of time. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, but I will say for for the blockchain, I think that the big takeaway is that it it allows a, a guarantee that um, each person is viewing the same ledger, and that ledger has been uh, has been assured by a distributed system um, as to being correct, and that can't go back. You can't go back and correct a previous entry into a ledger. And to the point of anonymous, I know this might be a side point, but the point of anonymous transactions, uh, Bitcoin, for example, yes, you would have a, uh, a public key out there that would remain constant as you uh, transacted with different people. But there are alternative coins, Monero, Dash, that focus on a truly anonymous system where your public key changes. And so you really have no idea what's going on there. So in the future, depending on you know which cryptocurrencies end up um, succeeding or end up having mass adoption, uh, you know, these voting systems could actually be built on something that would be completely anonymous, which doesn't necessarily bode well for a voting system, a voting system, but um, is also a possibility. But to bring it back to um, to uh, liquid democracy, I, I, there's one thing that um, I think would be kind of interesting to hear your take on, but how this affects kind of the political climate and the perception of, let's say, like young people. I mean, um, politics traditionally... Uh, has a lot of voter apathy associated with it. There's this kind of cynicism around uh, politics. I think in the last year or so, uh, due to really the the Trump administration, you've seen a kind of a reinvigoration of young people involved in politics. Um, but I kind of wanted to address this idea of voter apathy. Is this system something that you see uh, would help aid um, an issue of voter apathy or something that would uh, promulgate that for the future? I see two ways that this could be beneficial for addressing that issue. One is simply the feeling of empowerment, and it's not just a feeling, it is legitimate, that you can track maybe your vote and you can transfer your vote as issues change. So you may vote for one delegate or transfer your vote to a delegate for one set of issues and a different one for a different set of issues, perhaps, at least if the system was built to allow that. Second, one of Ford's principles is a low barrier to participation, meaning anyone who passes some minimal standards, they're a citizen, maybe he suggests a simple exam, can be a delegate. And theoretically, what that means is the being a representative is no longer restricted to a political elite. And I think as we go up each level of government from local to state to national, we increasingly see those representatives tend to come from a narrow section of society generally uh, upper class, and as we talked about in the last podcast, people with very similar educational backgrounds. One of the promises of liquid democracy is that anyone can be a delegate. It may turn out that only certain people have the opportunity to be delegates with sufficient votes to really matter, but it could, anyone could do it. And the need to spend a lot of time and money for campaigning is less when you're really building these votes based on trust net networks. Yeah, I think that's fair. And another thing uh, that I think is worth looking at is just kind of thinking about the life cycle of people and how they vote. So uh, many people grow up in a family that has strong political views and basically adopt those views, right? And as they get older, uh, I think the, the stereotype is that it's in college, but really it could be at any time in life. They start to 
have their own experiences and their own education and, and they start to view things a little bit differently. And one of the advantages of this system is you're not really tied to voting for just um, Republican, Democrat, occasionally independent, but you can find people individually that align with your views really well. So if you, if you uh, grow up and you just, you turn 18 and you just trust your parents, I mean, you can, you can delegate your vote to your, one of your parents. But if you get into college and you start to like learn more about this area of the world and you think that um, economists know all the answers, then maybe you delegate your vote to your economics professor. Like this is not out of the question. And as you go through life and you come to understand more or change your beliefs, you can switch your vote to a person who aligns to them really well. Now, I think that this could lend itself to a lot of um, switching and maybe the idea would be that the concern, I guess, would be that people would be kind of fickle. But if you really want a democracy that's a democracy, that listens to exactly what people want, it seems hard to beat that idea. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, before we get into our uh, our ratings here, our, our uh, phone numbers, um, is there anything Erica, else you guys like, would like to add? Erica, it's not phone numbers. Uh, uh, not particularly. I think we... <laughs> I think we covered both the principles as well as some specific, uh, specific questions. So I don't have anything. Fernando, what are our um, our three criteria again? Oh, rookie question, but practicality, idealism, and pizzazz, of course. Oh, the three P's. Wait, no, that's no, not true. No, that's P's. not oh, true. But... <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's uh, giving me their votes. Do you want me to lead lead off in my ratings? Uh, yeah, I'll take a shot. Um, so for practicality, you know, it, it's hard to decide how to view this, I guess. M maybe I should just ask Fernando. But the idea of practicality as in will this ever be implemented in a government of a country where I live? <laughs> I mean, pretty low chance. I think that government shakeups in general are hard. But as alternative forms of government go, this is not, not totally unfeasible, I believe. Um, I think you could probably implement this and there would be some implementation difficulties, but far more feasible than uh, Futarki, the last government we talked about. I would give this, I think, a seven on practicality. Idealism, uh, I don't think it is particularly idealistic. I mean, it is a very good democracy, but it doesn't really assume some kind of um, goodness in people or intelligence in people. It just lets everybody vote the way they are. Uh, and it doesn't assume that elected representatives are fundamentally good, which is what I would consider idealism. So I would actually say it's, it's not very idealistic, maybe a three. And uh, for pizzazz, I will, uh, for the second time in a row, give a very high pizzazz rating to this one. I will give it an eight. I think it is very cool. Not quite as cool as uh, Futarki, but the idea of cascading votes and a system that really looks a lot more like a math problem than just a bunch of people just mucking around uh, with old-style voting for people who aren't particularly similar to them and that they're a fixed number of, I think this is a, a vastly better better way to approach the problem. So what did I end up with there? A, uh, a 738? 738, I believe. Yeah, I'll take a um, 738 on that one. I'd like to po point out that I hope any listeners are not discouraged by the fact that Ethan equates math problems with pizzazz, but we'll <laughs> overlook that for now. My, I, I think similar to, similarly to you, I give it an eight for practicality. 
I kind of look at practicality the same way as you do, Ethan. And I think that no single element of liquid democracy has any insurmountable challenges to implement. I think there are a lot of kinks that would have to be worked out, as we talked about. And the specific way, the specific structure is up for debate, but nothing here is a huge obstacle should a new government pop up and decide to start off with liquid democracy. Idealism for same lines as Ethan doesn't assume any wonderful qualities in people. And pizzazz, I'd give it a six. Ordinarily, I'd actually say this is a relatively low pizzazz government. It's almost like too simple. It's your, you vote, your vote adds power to people you trust. But I do think there are a lot of interesting opportunities with how it can be linked with uh, technology, different electronic voting schemes that add to the pizzazz factor a little bit. This is just a, a classic LPG, right? A low pizzazz government? Oh, just classic, another LPG. classic LPG. <laughs> so that's an 846 for me. Matt, so I, I want to mention to the listeners that um, Matt came in with, with less knowledge of this to facilitate this conversation, so his take will be a little bit more based on what Fernando and I have said. So I think this will be very interesting. Yeah, I've, uh, I've actually decided to um, make my numbers completely based off of which one of you two I like more right now. <laughs> um, uh, no, I, 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 uh, I'll, I'll, I'll save that. But um, I will say so from uh, a practicality speaking, I mean, any form of government that, um, that the foundation of the government is that one person gets a vote and, and um, gets to you know, uh, select a, an individual or a policy and every vote or every person has one vote is going to have an element of practicality that um, something like Futarchy doesn't. So it's going to have a high practicality score because people will be able to understand it. And it's not that far off from a base model of like what we see today in the United States. So practicality, I mean, it is like I, I would give it um, I would give it an eight as well. Um, similar to Fernando. Um from an idealism uh, idealism standpoint, um, I don't think I have any commentary to add uh, in addition to what you guys have said. Um, I do think that it is a better step forward with minor roles, which is probably more of a pragmatic or minor minor issues, which is more of kind of a pragmatic uh, evaluation than an idealism. So I'll say a five on idealism, um, and then for pizzazz, you know. Maybe maybe because it's just not that out there, and uh, you know, I understand there's some some blockchain um, integrations that could go on here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give it low. I'm gonna give it a three. I just didn't just didn't really you know feel it there. So um, that leaves me with what that really eight. reflects poorly on the commentary by Fernando and me. We we did not include enough pizzazz. We did not did not communicate it well enough. The pizzazz <laughs> was not liquid enough to take from the articles we read to Matt. Um, uh, well, that's, that puts me at, at, at eight, was it eight, five, three? So, um, so yeah, well, uh, listeners, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any, uh, any questions on liquid democracy, I'd be happy to refer you to the other two guys. Um, if, uh, <laughs> if you have any feedback on the show or something, um, that you would like here talked about an alternative form of government that you would want us to explore, please let us know. Uh, but until next time, uh, we are signing off. Thank mm-hmm. you.